mostly because I was preaching on Jonah today. And as I thought about Jonah, I thought about the encounters I had with Jonah. I don't remember ever having an, an adult encounter with the book of Jonah. I don't mean, I know I'm not the first to ever preach on Jonah. I mean, it's, I, I didn't discover this gem. It's been there for quite some time. But I don't remember a sermon on the book of Jonah. I don't remember an adult Sunday school class on the book of Jonah. I don't remember any Jonah that didn't involve like flannel graph or like cut and paste. You know, you cut out Jonah, you color the whale blue, and you put Jonah inside the whale. It's like a lift the flap kind of thing. Like, who's in the whale? Jonah's in the whale. And, you know, and it's great. Kids love the story of Jonah. You know, he ends up in a whale. That's kind of cool. And then boys, as they get older, love the fact that the word is literally vomited. The whale vomited Jonah onto the beach. I mean, it's just, it's got all you need for a really great story. And I think every Sunday school curriculum runs it through at least once a year. So by the time you're in about fifth grade, sixth grade, you're maybe a little too cool for Jonah. And I think we've done ourselves a disservice. We've sort of said Jonah is a kid's story. And, and as I looked through it, this, this, over our vacation, I was reading a book called Under the Unpredictable Plant by Eugene Peterson. And uh, he, it's a book about ministry based on the life of Jonah. And I really, it spoke to me. And I thought, man, there's so much good stuff here. We've, we've got to talk about this. And so this morning, as best as we can, I would, I would love it if we could sort of uncover Jonah, if we could take Jonah back from, from, from downstairs Sunday school and bring him up here with us. It's going to require a little bit of holy imagination because we don't know a lot about Jonah. We, we don't. The, the book of Jonah, if you've got a Bible, that's where you ought to open up to, Jonah chapter 1. Uh, we read about Jonah. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, we know that Jonah is known by other people. 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, lists Jonah, son of Amittai, as being a prophet. And so Jonah was a prophet who a few people knew, but he wasn't, uh, from what we can tell, a famous prophet. He didn't speak to the nation. He wasn't consulted by kings. They didn't bring him into court so that way they could ask Jonah, what's the word of the Lord today, uh, like they had Elisha or Elijah. Jonah seems to be kind of this small-time prophet from a small town uh, named Gath-Hefer. Gath-Hefer in the Hebrew means dug winepress. Apparently, at some point in Gath-Hefer's history, somebody had got a shovel out and had dug a winepress, and that's what they were known for. Um, Not much happened in Gath-Hefer. There wasn't much to write about, so nobody did. And so that's what we know about Jonah. I, I, if you look through the book, I'll tell you, there's something in me that really thinks Jonah is a young guy. I think he's a young guy. Uh, he's, he's been called by God to be a prophet. What's a prophet do? He just tells the truth, God's truth, tells it to the situation, tells it the way that he sees it. That's Jonah's job. And who is it that loves to tell the truth and tell people how to live their lives better than young men? I mean, so I think Jonah fits this really well. Uh, Also, you get to the end of the book of Jonah, and God's grace breaks through in a radical and surprising way, and Jonah's angry about it because he thinks God should bring judgment. It's been my experience as, as people get older, they're a little more comfortable with grace winning 
younger people, I think, have a harder time with him. So there's something in here that, that I, I, I think Jonah's a young guy. I think he's been called to be a prophet. That's what it says on his business card. Jonah, a prophet of the Lord from Gath-Hefer. And he's doing his best, I think, to try to get out of this one-horse town. He wants to get out. He wants to maybe make a name for himself. He wants to do something spectacular. And it's to this Jonah, this guy who's got dreams and aspirations, that the book of Jonah says this, verse 2, God comes to him, the word of the Lord says this, Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, for us, being called to Nineveh or Tarshish or Joppa, it's all the Middle East. And so for us, it's like, you know, what's the difference between Nineveh and Tarshish? There's a big difference. Nineveh was a spectacular city. They had a lot of money. They were known for having really spectacular palaces. They were also known, uh, being a principal city of the Assyrian Empire, they were also known for incredible cruelty. They were known for violence. They were known for torture. They were known for all sorts of things. If you've seen the Veggie Tales rendition of Jonah, the fish slapping, it, that doesn't even begin to describe what's going on here in Nineveh. I was trying to think, like, what would a modern-day equivalent be? You know, you're, you're in maybe Gath-Hefer yourself. Maybe you're from a small town, and God calls you says, Hey, would you go take my word over to maybe, say, like Damascus, the capital city of Syria? Wouldn't, that, wouldn't you like to go over there in war-torn Syria? And, and wouldn't you like to go to, like, the center of ISIS thought and stronghold and preach the gospel? Wouldn't that be ideal? Would you like to go to Baghdad? Or, or how about into the Colombian jungles, still held by the FARC rebels? Would you like to go there? This is the kind of call that Jonah's been given. A, a place full of, quote-unquote, bad people, violent people, uh, in, in a place that nobody is signing up to go to. This is the word of the Lord to Jonah. Verse 3, it says, Jonah set out. And you start to think, well, maybe he's going to go. It says, but Jonah set out to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, that's by modern-day Tel Aviv, found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid his fare and went on board. Now, here's the thing. It says he paid his fare. It, it almost literally sounds like he bought the ship. It, it sounds like Jonah's a man of means, and he gets there, and he doesn't just like buy a ticket on a vessel like, like the Carnival Cruise Line going to Tarshish today You know, with seven stops in the Mediterranean. It is like there's a boat there, and he's like, hey, listen, what would it take for us to all go to Tarshish right now? And it sounds like maybe Jonah had some means, hires this boat, and he is going to uh, finance his own escape from the Lord. He pays his fare, goes on board to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah wants to go to Tarshish. What's, what's in Tarshish? Tarshish is kind of a mythical city. Uh, for the, the Hebrew folks. It, it, it's past the Straits of Gibraltar. It's in what's modern-day Spain. And Tarshish is mentioned once in Scripture. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 22 talks about Tarshish. It said the king, this is Solomon, had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. And once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come. And here's what they brought from Tarshish. They brought gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. And you can imagine maybe being a young kid reading these stories and thinking about all the places you might go. Tarshish is that land of opportunity. It is Hollywood mixed in with New York City. If you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. And this is the place Jonah wants to go. He gets down to the 
ticket agency there in Joppa, and he looks on the, you know, the posters on the wall, and it's, you know, come, come visit beautiful, you know, Cuba, the festival isle of the Caribbean, or, or go see Yosemite in all of its glory, or, or, or come visit Australia and the Great Barrier Reef, and then there's another one that says, come see Tarshish, the land of silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. That's it. That's where we're going to go. And so Jonah gets on board. Now, we don't know why Jonah does this. I mean, maybe he's afraid. We're we're having to imagine a a little bit of this. Maybe he thinks that he's doing God a favor. It might be that Jonah thinks, you know what? If I go to Tarshish, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to have, we're going to plant us a church and it's going to be huge and it's going to be amazing. And then God's going to be like, man, Jonah, Tarshish is a great place for you. We're going to send somebody else to Nineveh. But, but here's the thing is I think Jonah, like us, expected more than what God promised. Jonah expected, I think, a little bit more than what God promised. Maybe it's not just better. Maybe it's easier, safer. Jonah expected something safer than what God promised. Jonah expected something easier than what God promised. Jonah expected something more exotic than what God promised. And God calls him to Nineveh, and Jonah goes, wait a second, I don't remember getting that memo. Jonah thought, you know, wait a second, God, I'd signed up. I'm a prophet of the Lord. Wouldn't it be better if I went to this place? I'll be obedient, but it's too hard to be obedient here. You've called me to be obedient in Nineveh, Lord, but I can't do that. I could be obedient in Tarshish. Could I go there? And I'll tell you, I think that's, that's how it is for a lot of us. It's always easier to be obedient someplace else. It's always easier to be a Christian with other people. It's always easier to do something in another scenario than the one where we find ourselves. Oh, I'd share my faith. I'd be glad to share my faith if I didn't go to the school I went to. But if I went to the other school, I could share my faith there because that's like like a Bible study the whole time. I could share my faith there. Oh, I'd love to talk about Jesus. But man, if I worked a different place because the people I work with, man... They're so hostile. You should see the people I work with. I'd like to be a good husband, but have you seen the wife I've got? I could be a better husband if I had a better wife. Or, man, I'd like to be a godly parent, but, man, I've, I've only got the kids I've got. I mean, I, you can only do so much with what you have. I'd like to do these things if I had something else. And we get stuck in these cycles where, man, I'd like to do this, but it would be so much easier if I had something else. And really what we say is, well, I'll be obedient when. But really what we're doing is we're saying, I won't be obedient now. And what we're doing is living in a place of disobedience. We're fantasizing about what would be easier and how much it would be easier and how much more effective we could be uh, someplace else. And we think there's a better place and we think there's a better people and we think there's a better call and we think there's a better thing. And we're like, man, you know, I'd love to get involved. I'd love to be involved with what's God, with what God's doing. I'd like to get connected with church if I could find the right church. And some people spend their whole life looking for the right church, and they never get involved, never get connected. Friends, it's so much easier to be obedient someplace else, but God is calling us to be obedient right now, at this moment, in this place. This morning, you might be running from God. If you are, I'll tell you the story serves as a warning. Look what happens here. Jonah buys the boat, goes to Tarshish. It says, verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship 
threatened to break up. Now, the, the way the verbiage is constructed here, threatened seems to imply that the boat itself is wanting to destroy itself. Like the boat has a desire to break. It's like the boat says, I'm not inside of the will of God. I don't want to be here. It's like everything is working against Jonah because he is working against God. Verse 5, the, the mariners were afraid. Each cried to his God. They, they had all brought their own pagan deities on board with them. They didn't know who was responsible. And so they have this impromptu prayer meeting where they all huddle together with all of their idols. And they say, let's take turns praying to each of our gods and see what happens. So they cast, I'm sorry, I've got to have myself. So they threw, they start to throw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. Jonah, meanwhile, had gone down into the hold of the ship and has lain down and was fast asleep. He's either there because he's just terrified with fear and so he just kind of checks out or maybe he just doesn't care. Uh, anyways, verse 6 happens. It says, the captain came and said to him, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps the God will spare us a thought so that we do not perish. N notice here that when we get off track, sometimes God sends a storm to stop us. Sometimes that happens. You know, in this situation, Jonah is running, and he says, wait a second, Jonah, no, we're not going to go there. It could be that. It could be a traffic jam. It could be a business failure. You go to the book of Haggai. All of the Jewish folks had got together. They were living in Jerusalem, and they were finding that all of their businesses were failing, and all of their crops were failing, and everything they set out to do failed. And the prophet Haggai speaks this word. He says, you've looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because my house lies in ruins while all of you hurry off to your own houses. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth has withheld its produce. God is saying to the people, listen, you are not on the right track. And until you get there, I'm going to make sure that you don't get too comfortable in the wrong place. And out of God's grace, he sends the storm. But the problem is this, is that when storms come up in our lives, a lot of times we find ourselves rowing faster, bailing more quickly while the storm gets worse. And we keep thinking, I've just got to fight through this. But what we're doing is we're fighting God. We don't ever take the time to stop and to pray and say, God, is this, are you trying to tell me something here? Is there something maybe I could learn from this? Maybe the dysfunction isn't in every single person I know. Maybe the dysfunction is inside of me. But we don't take the time to look. Sometimes God sends a storm. Sometimes God speaks to us in unexpected people. Look at verse 6, the captain. This is the chief sailor. This is the chief sailor of all sailors. Sailors are not known for spiritual prowess, and yet he comes down and he says, get up and pray. Well, the captain of the ship says, it's time to get up and pray. You pray. So Jonah gets up. And he starts to pray. I suspect some of these guys hadn't prayed in quite some time, at least since the last storm they had. But now here Jonah is there joining their impromptu prayer meeting. Why? Not because God called him to pray, but because the pagan sailor captain called him to pray. Sometimes God has a funny way of getting a hold of us. Sometimes we've got to lose to win, too. Notice what happens here. Verse 7, it says, The sailors said to one another, uh, We're going to have to figure out who this is responsible for, so let's cast lots. The lot falls on Jonah. And Jonah says, All right, you found me. I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is it that you've done? For they knew he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them 
verse 11, when they said to him, what shall we do to you so that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. What a great word. Verse 12, he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Nevertheless, what did the men do? They row harder to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more stormy against them. Then they cried out to the Lord. They said, Lord, please, Lord, we pray, don't let us perish on account of this man's life. In other words, it's his fault. Lord, we're going to throw him overboard, but do not make us guilty of innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. God, it's your fault. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. You wonder, why didn't Jonah just jump overboard? Even when he knows God's out to get him, he still doesn't have the courage to do what he knows he ought to do. Somebody else has to do it for him. They throw him overboard. The sea ceases from its raging, verse 15. And then verse 16, the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. All those promises they'd made in the middle of the storm, Lord, if only you will get me out, I will fill in the blank. They're, they're now sort of solidifying that right there on the boat. That's what's happening. And there's some irony here that even in Jonah's disobedience, God's still glorified. So you might run from God. God's still going to use that. God uses Jonah's disobedience to witness to the entire crew. And Jonah, verse 17, says the Lord provided a large fish. Whale, Hebrew word is the same. It's large sea creature. It could be a giant octopus. We have no idea to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What do you do when you're in the middle of the belly of a whale? There's not a lot to do. There's no overhead reading light. There's no cabin drink service or snacks that come down the aisle. It's you and goo, I think, is really all that we're looking at. You and goo. <laughs> Jonah does what he can. He prays. He prays. Verse chapter 2 is all the prayer. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And it's prayer that gets us back on track with God. It's prayer that gets Jonah back on track with God. It's prayer really that got the sailors back on track with God. The storm comes. Now, here's the thing about storms is when the storm comes... It's the only thing that matters, okay? When a storm comes, you might be on an airplane, everybody's cool, they're reading their magazine, they're clickety-clacking on a laptop, but man, when that turbulence hits, and we're not talking just like a bump, but a big bump, and you're going through the storm, it's amazing how quickly everything gets closed up, seatbelts get tightened, and everybody just slowly starts to pray. In their mind, not out loud, but they're praying. Why? Because really landing safely is the only thing that matters at that point in time. The storm comes on sea. The ship, it says, is willing itself to break apart. And all of a sudden, the only thing that matters is that. What, what do the sailors do? They've got cargo. What's in that, those boxes? They don't care. It could be filled with gold. It could be filled with ivory. It could be filled with cash. It could be, there could be $20 million in this box. We're going to throw it overboard. Why? Because if we don't get off this ship in one piece, nothing else matters. When the storm comes, it's the only thing that matters. You got a storm at your office, you got a storm at work. Guess what happens? When you come home, you're still thinking about that. Why? Because that storm is all consuming. It's the only thing that matters. You got a storm at home, you got a storm with your, your family, with your spouse, with your kids. Guess what? That storm follows you to work. You're thinking about it there. Why? Because it is the only thing that matters. When you are in a storm, you know it. If you're here this morning and you're going through a storm, you know it. You don't have to be thinking, Am I in a storm? You know you're in a storm. 
You know you're dealing with it because you almost didn't come to church today because you're in the middle of a storm. You thought, man, I just don't even know if I could sit and focus at church today because I got all this other stuff going on. But you came here. Why? Because you go, I'm in the middle of the storm. The only thing that matters is trying to figure a way out. Maybe God has got something to say. And so here you are. When you're in the middle of the storm, it's the only thing that matters. And it drives you to a place of prayer. When you try to figure out, God, what am I doing? Do I need to keep rowing or am I rowing against you? Not every storm comes from God. I think I should probably say that. Some of them come from Satan as he tries to stop you from doing what God's called you to do. The Apostle Paul found that out in Acts chapter 27. Acts chapter 27, we read that Paul was in the middle of a storm. The, the boat is about to break apart again, and he comes to the captain and the entire crew on boat, and he says, listen, I urge you now to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For last night there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor, and indeed God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God. How does Paul know he's been talking with God? How is it that Jonah gets out of this? He talks to God. It's prayer that gets us back on the right track. I'll tell you, friends, this morning as Christ followers, we've got a lot in common with Jonah. For Christ has called us. He said, listen, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. There's not a whole lot of ambiguity there. He says, I want you to go. I want you to tell people about me. I want you to take the message that I've given you, that Christ has come, died, risen, and is coming again. Could you go tell people that message? And yet we find ourselves running we look at the place where we're at and we go, man, this is like Nineveh. I could do it if only I was in Tarshish. All I need is a better place. All I need is better people. All I need is a better, more clear call. All I need is a better reward. All I want is a better response. All I need is something different or easier or safer. And I'll tell you, what we're asking for is something that Jesus never promised. And it's a life that's better and easier than the life Jesus himself lived. Jesus, what did he say? He said, listen, if the world hates me, it's going to hate you. There was a disciple who wanted to follow Jesus, and so he asked Jesus, he said, hey, where are we staying tonight? And Jesus said, you know, funny thing about that, foxes have burrows and the birds have the nests, but the Son of Man, he has got no place to lay his head. That guy didn't follow Jesus because he wanted more than what Jesus was promising. But here's the funny thing is when you follow Jesus, if you read the book of Noah or the Jonah here, you realize one thing really quickly, that it's better to be with God than to be without him. It's better to be with God in the belly of a whale than to be without God in Tarshish. It's better to be with God. You know, and, and so it doesn't seem real comforting. But if you go with God, you, you do have the best place. You're in his presence, and you do have the best people. It's the family of God, and you have the best calling doing the work that God has set out for you, and you will receive the very best reward. Going with God is so much better than going without him. And so this morning, as our worship team comes up, 
I want to just ask for those of you that are saying, man, I've got to make a decision to, to follow, to be obedient. I keep waiting for something better to show up, better people, a better place. I, I'm waiting for Tarshish. But God's calling me to be obedient right now. For some of you, that might mean being baptized into Christ for the very first time where you say, you know what, I'm going to just lay this down, lay down my agenda, and I'm going to say, God, I'm going to follow you. And if that's a decision you have to make this morning, we invite you to come forward. Uh, others of you saying, you know what, I, I've kind of got off track. I need to get serious about faith. I need to get serious about following God. And this morning, if that's a decision you have to make, we'd love for you to come forward. I'd love to pray with you and, and help you figure out how is it that we can get back on track. If you've got a decision to make, we'll invite you to come forward as we sing this song.